0: Today, I speak with Lori Angris, who is an expert in listening for connection. I think so many times when we're in a conversation with someone, a loved one or a colleague, our mind is already thinking about the next thing that we want to say. We're very connected to our ideas, our identity, our agenda, our way of manipulating or controlling the situation. And as a result, when they're talking, we're already thinking about, this is what I want to say next. And we're not really slowing down enough to hear what they're saying. And in this conversation with Lori today, she tells us kind of the internal dialogue that she's having with herself to slow herself down, to have empathy, to really be present and listen, to find joy in contributing to the well-being of that person by allowing them to feel heard and seen, that this is such an amazing skill in yoga therapy and with our loved ones, and then she even does it. For strangers on something called sidewalk talk, which is she literally sits on random sidewalks with a little table and chair and has a little sign saying like, Hey, I'm here to listen if you need it. And to total strangers, she just takes her time to hear them and to see them and to really give empathy. So I feel like Lori is one of those people. She's like a, a bodhisattva where she has come back to help the rest of us learn how to really listen. And then out of that comes proper communication, figuring out what your own needs are, figuring out how to make a request that can be heard by the other party. But for Lori, the key is listening first and then communicating and getting both people's needs met. I mean, that's the ultimate goal of all of this is that I'm really in touch with my needs. I'm understanding your needs. And now we come up with a creative solution because we're curious on how we can find that win-win to get both of our needs met. I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode. It will be helpful with your client's as well as with your family members and loved ones. The best of humanity today, the, the weekly award goes to Alyssa Fennig. And I've been doing yoga business a long time. And I even teach yoga business courses. We start a new one every May. And What's interesting to me, and I tell my students this all the time, but I have to remember it. What's interesting to me is that having an outside reference point that can look at you and all that you're doing and really see your essence and and help you to blossom that essence is critical. You can't do that work by yourself. So I've been working with Alyssa on kind of rebranding my website and all my social media and all of it with a new message that's much more focused and much more connected to my values and my essence and my being and just being supported in this way and having that outside reference point to help me have clarity has been critical it's a it's a beautiful thing and i think this is what we do as yoga therapists but to have someone reflect that back to me, especially since I do it for others in their business. It's just a really lovely thing to have. So I want to thank Alyssa for being the the person who is nurturing and taking care of me. And I'll just say that I highly recommend her as a branding coach and specialist. So thanks Alyssa. If someone has made a difference in your life that you'd like to tell us about, you can call the number in the United States. and leave a two-minute message about how somebody made a difference for you. And if you want, I'll put it on the air and talk about it with or without names welcome to the yoga therapy hour podcast my name is amy wheeler and i'm your host we are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy and we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together please nourish yourself take time for yourself and really relax into listening to the podcast I would like to welcome my friend and colleague, Lori Angris. Welcome. So nice to see you. Hi, Amy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this particular podcast, Lori, and also this topic of listening for connection. So let's just start off and define what is listening for connection mean to you. And then we'll kind of go back and get your origin story.
1: Yeah, listening for connection to me is really building on what we as humans are wired for. We're wired for connection in our nervous system and the way we connect with our birth mother. And when we listen and with the intention of connecting, there's a difference. There's a difference in the way the speaker is receiving your energy and there is a quality of heart connection. And I and I think that's what I'm always seeking to remind myself of what I'm wanting in the interaction.
0: I really sense that from you. It's one of my favorite things about you is that even if we're having a challenging conversation, or I can see that maybe you're struggling talking to someone and it's it's not all roses... I can see you really working hard to listen with the attitude of, I want to stay connected. And to me, that is in all honesty, one of the hardest things for me, because when I, when my nervous system gets out of whack or I get angry, that is so hard for me, how do you do that? How do you stay with it? And like my brain oftentimes goes, well, I don't want to be connected to you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I can see that yours doesn't do that. <laughs> you know, you. I think you'd have to be pretty triggered for that to happen, and I haven't seen that happen very often. Mm-hmm. So, how do you stay in it? How do you? How do you remind yourself? Like, yeah, I, I really still do want connection, even though I'm very upset.
1: Yeah, I guess I. If I'm very upset, I may have a moment of not wanting connection, and that's real too. And that's mm-hmm. okay to not want connection in that moment. But if there's a if it's a relationship you're wanting to pursue, then you can come back and, and meet with that person again, at a, mm. and kind of clear it up. But how I do it, this idea of staying present and grounded is I use my my yogic tools, frankly. And what I notice myself doing is watching the person breathe or not breathe. I happened recently, someone talks really fast and has a lot to say and I have a hard time keeping up. I think, wow, I just pause for a moment. I'm feeling in my body, I'm feeling my body. Noticing my response to their rapid speech, maybe. And then I think I find some empathy. Wow, they really have a lot to say. And then I think, well, let me be that for them. Let me be that person that's hearing them because there's a need. And if I can help them get that need to be heard met, well, then in a way, it's I've contributed to their well being. And that's what Marshall Rosenberg, you know, the founder of nonviolent communication. He speaks of humans have an intrinsic desire to contribute to the well-being of others. You know, when we, we don't even necessarily think about it, but we're, we're doing it. We hold the door open for someone. We, in any number of ways, we're, we're contributing to the well-being of others. And for me, listening is part of how I do that. If I can hold space for someone who really clearly has a lot to say and can provide that and i empathize with them and i even empathize with myself okay this is a lot to take in and i can do it do it for these moments that's what helps me and i stay in my own breath i feel my body and i have that anchor within that keeps me able to hang in there
0: do you ever get exhausted from that because I don't know if I'm a little bit neurodiverse (laughs) and that kind of presence and attention and intensity, I can do it for an hour, but like if I had someone at my house for a weekend and I had to do that for an entire weekend, I don't, I get to the point where I just can't, do you ever get exhausted
1: about by it? Yeah, definitely. For sure. Yeah. And that's, it's appropriate to say, you know, another example Marshall Rosenberg would give, if uh, if you're noticing you're, you're reaching your capacity just name it so i pause and sort of interrupt and so gently say so you know i'm really wanting to give you my my full attention and i'm feeling like i'm, I'm pretty tired right now i'm feeling it uh like i need a rest and i'd love to continue this conversation tomorrow mm-hmm. and and find a gentle way to move move into a rest period for yourself
0: you know, when I was thinking about this conversation this morning and last night, it seems to me that the words that come out of our mouth are very, very connected to that which we're actually feeling in our bodies and in our heart. and And I just wrote down that you're giving yourself empathy. you're giving them empathy you're allowing yourself to be that vessel into which they can pour all those words into you have a feeling of wanting to contribute to their well-being you're taking care of yourself and setting boundaries to me that all sounds like hard work and that maybe the the words come out are just the expression of what you're actually feeling in your body would you say that's true
1: I would like that to be true. <laughs> I sometimes think it's cognitive because sometimes the body is saying, get me out of here. And then you have to find a way to articulate that that's not, that doesn't say, I'm, I'm over this, get me out of here. You know, I think it's, you get the signal in the body, right? You get the message that you've reached a point of saturation and then you choose, how am I going to share this with another? In a kind and respectful way that doesn't cut them off and it maintains connection. So that's where you can use a um, kind of a more kind language. But you've paused, you know, you've felt something inside that says, okay, I'm exhausted or this is outside of my range of capacity or whatever it is, or even outside of my scope of practice. Mm. Letting the person know that I'd like to take a break and this is for both of our benefits.
0: Yeah. Even hearing you say that though, Lori, you have to be pretty well-regulated in your nervous system and self-aware to even realize, wow, I'm at capacity. I I can't keep doing this or I'm going to hurt them and me. Like, and that's, I guess that's one thing, how I see yoga therapy and things like nonviolent communication going together is that, and my mom used to teach this, it's really hard to use the nonviolent communication method if you're completely dysregulated in your nervous system.
1: Absolutely. yeah, and when the my kids were younger, I may have gotten dysregulated and and maybe there is an outburst, and maybe there's you say something that isn't as you know your ideal language. But there's always the possibility of coming back a few hours later or the next day and, and revisiting it. So, Hey, I want to, uh, ref- I want to talk about how, how we got out the door yesterday. I didn't feel that great for me. Did you notice that? And you, you revisit it and you have a, a, a conversation. That's a collaboration around how, how might we do that differently? Cause I don't think it felt good to either of us. So what could we do to get, a different, you know, get out of the house with more ease or whatever the issue is. How could we manage the kitchen chores with more ease? Whatever it is, you come back and you revisit it in a, in a collaborative way and suggest, you know, soliciting both parties' input can be really helpful.
0: You know, you're reminding me, I, I, George and I have been married for 20 years. And earlier in the marriage, I felt like if I had a thought, I had to get it out there and he had to hear it right then. But As we've grown together, I can just take a mental note and be like, now is not the time.
1: Revisit that tomorrow (laughs) and then I'll come back to it. Yeah, I'm doing that all the time, Amy. I am like you. I want to, well, I want to just name what I see in the moment because I want to, you know, I want to correct it. I want to make it better. I want to give the, you know, here's the right tool for the job when in fact it's better just, you know, let them do their thing ask you can even ask i noticed something yesterday that i s- might have done differently would you like my input then they have a choice as to whether they receive your wise and you know <laughs> ways and that's a beautiful
0: thing but whenever i say that to my husband would you like to know my opinion about this he says yes <laughs> like kind of a question mark, like, I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that that's telling, isn't it? That is like, yes, mate. Yes. But <laughs> in a way, so then yeah. you choose to, you can have a, a clarifying question. Does that really mean? Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure you're giving me the green light there. Well, let's go back to your
0: kind of origin story. Cause you've been studying listening and communication for Decades. Tell us how it all began for you and just a, a synopsis of how you became
1: who you are in this <laughs> capacity. Still becoming, let's put that out there. I came into this understanding of communication and social emotional development kind of all at once when my daughter was two. And I found a mommy and me class, a parenting class, and the instructor was a wonderful woman who was steeped in compassionate communication, which is another term for NBC. And I saw the way she was talking to infants and modeling for us how to talk to infants in a really uh, kind way. And she invited me to come to the nursery school where she worked and she told me after, she goes, I don't tell all parents about this nursery school. Manhattan Beach Nursery School from been there 70 years or something. It's a co-op where parents are very involved, and they practice nonviolent communication, conflict resolution among two and three-year-olds. With this model, is beautiful. It's not a. It's not a top-down. It's a, it's a collaboration, win-win. And so I, we took our kids there, and I learned so much about observation. What is their need? how can we make a request? How can you scaffold two, three-year-olds who want the same toy? It's, it's a beautiful thing. And when they learn it early, they learn a language for needs and feelings. And so then that's how I parented. And I had to kind of even, you know, advocate for it amongst my family members who thought I was a little bit, you know, Soft, And I thought, well, it's a little bit extra work to, to make your observations, talk about what your needs are. But the result is connection. And that was really powerful for me. I don't want to be that parent that says, because I said so, because that doesn't give the child anything. And then there's this sort of hierarchy of the, oh, that's the authority. I just do what it's for because she said so. I didn't want that. So then that led us to an elementary school and uh, that would practice this uh, nonviolent communication. That's where they asked us to read books on it and read books on social-emotional development and communication. So that continued on. It was really powerful. The kids in class would make OFNR statements, observation. They would do, actually what they would do was thank yous. After their play dates, they would say, when I played with you, I felt happy because my need for play was being met or something like that. They did these sharings with each other. It was so beautiful. So then I started practicing at home with the kids and with my spouse and where it's the hardest, frankly, it's hard. It is. You have to be present and want to do this. So it comes from a values place. So then I realized I have a value around connection and communication and that values to maintain connection and be a clean and authentic communicator, kept me in it. So then I started reading more books and I went to workshops with Marshall Rosenberg. I brought it into the private high school where I taught. I helped the faculty there kind of practice it and wrap their head around it. So it's been with me for a while. And then I met, I heard about this organization called Sidewalk Talk. And I thought, what? There's a thing where you sit on the sidewalk and you just listen to people? I need to know more about that. So then that was an expansion of the nonviolent communication practice into, okay, now I'm practicing it on the street with strangers. And I've since become friends with Tracy Rubel, the founder of Sidewalk Talk. And that's really expanded my understanding of the value of listening and she uses this beautiful imagery of a cozy fire so when you're listening can you imagine yourself as the warm cozy fireplace and someone comes and sits next to you and the reception you give them is from your heart so that they might receive the qualities of a warm cozy fire you know and that's that's really powerful and she developed a program for companies. They asked her. Companies would come to her and, "Do you will you teach us how to listen?" She wasn't having any intention of going into the corporate world, but you know, I kind of followed that program along, and, and we, we thought we were going to launch it and teach it, and we did for a while. And this, the curriculum's still there, but it, it's not being taught right now. But it's brilliant, and I weave that into the NBC that I teach for the Optimal State, and I weave it into. How I offer the NBC practice groups. Anyway, it's just it's just never not with me this concept of listening because I keep it keeps coming into my life and I keep seeing it. So what I've discovered is that oh, I have a need to be heard. This is why I want to give the experience of listening because I know what it feels like to be heard, and I want to contribute to the well-being of even even total strangers.
0: You know, when you said that about the quality of kind of sitting by a warm, cozy fire and being received and heard, what came up in my mind was I love to do that for people, but I oftentimes feel like I'm in a hurry and I don't have the time. Like I take Tuesdays off just for me. And on Tuesdays, I'll stop and talk to the cash register lady and I'll sit on the bench with the old lady outside the doctor office. And you know, like Tuesdays, Oh yeah, I, I would do that. But most of the other days of the week, I have a pretty tight schedule. Do you, do you ever feel that way? Like you want to be the warm, cozy campfire, but you got to get it to a meeting in five minutes and then, you know,
1: yeah, that's interesting. I, I really hear you saying that when you have free time that you've chosen, you've carved out some Amy time, filling yourself up and listening and conversing with the cash register or some woman on the bench that fills you up. Mm. And so you've chosen to have the free time, but in your free time, you're, you're choosing connection, but it's chosen. It's you reaching out and asking the cash register how her day was or whatever it is. So isn't that different from it's my work day and we're actually as yoga therapists, we're paid to listen to some degree. Yeah. And it's all scheduled and it's got a, it's got a, a protocol and you're, you're in work mode and it has a different, we're still doing it from the heart. But it, know, it just feels different than when you're on your day off. And I have the same experience, Amy. I'm super friendly out there. When I'm rested and I I have a complete day off or a vacation, I'm so friendly to that. I want to know about the cash registers day, that kind of thing, the cashier, I mean. So I think it, maybe it's a difference of it does fill us up, but it, it we have more capacity for listening and being really present and that heartfelt way when we're rested and we're choosing it. It is exactly
0: right. But I think you're also right to say that I'm doing it all the other days. I'm just doing it in a different context as a yoga therapist. Yes. Yes which kind of brings me back to something you mentioned a few minutes ago. And I just briefly want to go over it because I think it's so critical. You said the kind of technique of Marshall Rosenberg's nonviolent communication is O F N R. And I want to just really briefly go through what O means F N and R, because, you know, it's not a formula that we have to follow, but it does give context for how to be a better listener. The first one is so hard observing without judgment, observing the situation without judgment. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I think for most of us, any observation we do of anything is getting sliced and diced into yes, no good, bad, and not just looking at a situation without judgment.
1: It's true. It is, it is really tricky and it can be mastered with practice. And we'll never do it perfectly all the time. And we're, I think just culturally, societally, linguistically, we tend to evaluate a lot and, and we become sort of used to it. Like, of course, I want you to evaluate me. How else can I know my worth? So it's part of that is, is hard to undo, but with practice it gets easier. So the observation, do you want an example? yeah Um, so I always come up with the household ones I see so there's a lot of clothes on the floor today that's a there's no evaluation there. that's a fact that's what a camera would see that's what a detective (laughs) would see
0: a teenager might say
1: that's not a lot (laughs) right well you're right I gave a quantitative you know right I see many and you and so you can you can nitpick it to death for sure so when I see uh, uh, many clothes on the floor, so that's the observation. The observation is what you see. I see, and it, it works really well also with looking at someone's performance in art or music or sports. I saw you make that play so effortlessly. That would be a way to acknowledge someone's effort without judgment I see you use lots of green and red and there's these vertical lines, observation. As opposed to, you're an awesome athlete. You're a great painter. That's very evaluative and that's a positive judgment, but it's still a judgment. So the observation takes out that evaluation. and Just the facts.
0: Yeah. And then the next step you alluded to I feel it's like an I statement taking responsibility for what's happening inside of you when there's clothes on the floor or when
1: whatever you just served. Yes. So, and that, the reason for doing that is so that you're, you are removing shame and blame. And of course the person may have been the cause of the clothes on the floor, sure but we don't but we can remove the energy of shame and blame by just stating the facts then there's less room for being defensive less mm-hmm. room for feeling attacked they still may feel attacked that's that's okay but your energy isn't coming from with the intention of blaming or shaming just you want to let them know how that feels i feel distracted i feel frustrated whatever it is by the clothes or with the piece of art i feel calm when I see those colors, oh, wow, that's a very different than that's a pretty painting. So, you're, so you speak, yes, you own your own feelings of how, what the observation is, how it arises in you. It arises as a feeling of frustration. It arises as a feeling of calm. And then they have, the person has something to, oh, okay, there's a feeling that's been elicited. Let's, that's, that's a, something to work with. I
0: always find people are surprised at the feelings that are inside of me that have been elicited. Like, you can just see on their faces, like, wow, you cared enough to actually tell me how that impacted you, instead of, oh, that's, thank you, that's nice, or something more generic. I find that especially when it's a positive feeling that's been elicited, that people just, it's almost like a little shock, like, oh my gosh my xyz made her feel that way that's that's a beautiful compliment
1: you know absolutely and then and then it gives the the artist or the athlete or the musician a feeling that they contributed to your well-being and maybe that's even why they're doing their art or their music and when you let them know how it landed for you it's a piece of feedback that maybe they want to do more of that kind of thing so just to
0: be clear, like when we look at Marshall Rosenberg's work, there's a whole list of what we might call positive feelings that could be elicited. And there's a whole list of maybe what you might want to call negative feelings. And, and so I think sometimes we have to actually go to those lists to see what we're feeling.
1: Yes, because they're nuanced. The list of feelings is is very nuanced, and it can be helpful to kind of express yourself in something more nuanced than just happy, sad, mad, glad.
0: And I've also seen sheets now around feelings that go into body sensations, which I think yeah. is interesting.
1: Yes, so there's, there's an emotional feeling, and then there's a sensory feeling, mm-hmm. right? So there's an emotion. So... they nbc uses the word feeling right for the emotions but we know that feelings can also be sensory heat soft yeah right warm cold yeah and that's also helpful for working with something that's difficult meeting the sensation of it is a powerful tool which i i might use in my practice this um Pamela Crane in a previous podcast, she talked about that. And I use that a lot. I learned that in my IRS training, how to do a, a co-meditation diet where you're you're meeting the sensations as they arise that people don't even know necessarily that it's connected to an emotion until you unpack it a little bit. So that's important too. The other thing I love about... If-
0: feelings as sensations is to me that also takes a layer of judgment or shame out of it it's just oh i've got this tight feeling over here on the right side near my liver like it, there's nothing judgmental about that it's like hmm, i wonder what that is about
1: <laughs> yeah that's making an observation isn't it it's making an observation of the pure response in the body And exactly, we have self-criticism sometimes or criticism of other about an emotion. We may label the emotion as bad or good or we may call it anxiety when in fact, what if we just met it as it's a fluttering of the heart, it's sweaty palms. Okay, you you can um, unhook from the emotion and disengage from it and has a more likely chance of being digested and moved through. And then the language, my, my favorite thing to share is, maybe if we don't call it my anxiety, what if we just call it the anxiety? And then, and then we go beyond that and we just call it, well, how is it showing up in my body? Right now there's a feeling of X. And maybe it's not anxiety, maybe. Or, or we can lose that. Can, can we peel off that label and feel it in the body? So that's another way of using that observation skill.
0: Mm, I love it. All right. So with Marshall Rosenberg's work and the OFNR method, the next one is needs. And to me, this is where the rubber hits the road. And, you know, my mom and I went to these nonviolent communication 10 day workshops starting maybe 20, 20 years ago or something. I went into those workshops not even understanding that I had needs or that I could ask for the, my needs to be met. it it took a whole 10 days for me to even understand what my needs were, which was so interesting to me that I was unaware of my own needs. What, what do you have to say about needs?
1: It's fascinating. It, it is kind of the core of it that we are, our behaviors are in service of getting a need met. Everything we do is to get a need met, even if it's just, Lots of talking, or if it's lots of drinking, or if it's—I won't—we don't need to go through all the examples, but yes, our behavior is in service of getting a need met, and then our our feelings arise out of whether our need is met or unmet. So that's there's another set of two lists, right? The the feelings that arise when my needs are met tend to be more of those positive feelings. The feelings that arise when my needs are not met tend to be more of the The negative feelings are, it's a different list. My my feelings when my needs are not met. So that's really important. But first, right, what even are my needs? And that's where it can be really helpful, especially with young children or or people (laughs) in any age who haven't been in the practice of uh, discerning their needs or even welcome to share their needs, is that you can help them kind of, you can take guesses. I'm wondering if, you know, you're needing some quiet time right now. Wondering if you're hungry right now, you know, helping them identify, oh, yeah, I really could benefit from some food or some quiet time.
0: You know, Lori, in our yoga therapy training program, you know this because you're the nonviolent communication teacher, but I'm telling the audience, this formula, if you want to call it that, OFNR, is so useful for people in chronic pain, autoimmune disease, a lot of different issues where people have kind of disembodied They're They're living from the head up and they're ignoring all the body sensations until they're screaming at them or they can't move. So at least in the sessions that I do with people who have autoimmune or chronic pain or things like that, this topic of what are your needs is huge i could spend six months just on that because most of the people that are having those chronic conditions are the same people who've never figured out what their own needs are and they've been people pleasers for everyone else at cancer that's another one that mm-hmm. uh-huh. i think it's uh, you know when we talk about yoga therapy and satyam telling the truth with kindness that i i actually have needs here family <laughs> I I know I've put all my needs on hold for 25 years to take care of all you, but that's got to change now. That is so hard for my clients to do. Do you find that, that a lot of people, I know you work with, you know, teenagers and their parents and people who have trauma. Do you find that people have trouble figuring out what their needs are?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it can be really helpful to just get them started with their body, right? What is it that would make you comfortable right now? What mm-hmm. can I get you to to help you feel really comfortable in this chair, on this floor, and starting that process of having them really check in, what does my body need right now? It's a really good starting point, right? You know, thinking of moving from gross to subtle. Let's just start with getting the body comfortable and really supporting a person in that helps them understand, oh, a, I get to, I get to feel into this. I get to see. I get to take care of myself. That's a beautiful thing that we can give a, someone in a, in a session. Just the, all the things they need to be comfortable for a few moments, as a starting point. Yeah,
0: and that's a big deal. It, to us, it may sound like we're propping them up with some cushions, but nobody's ever done that for them before.
1: Yeah, and then you add, you layer on the the true deep listening. To what they're sharing that hour I mean then they think we're just geniuses <laughs> because <we've True>.
0: <laughs> I mean imagine being a 50 year old woman that's never had someone tenderly care for her be present listen to her it, it's a big deal and yeah. in an embodied way as you're saying get your body comfortable you know So let's go to the last one, the the request. This is another one. I going through these retreats with my mom, trying to heal my childhood trauma over she and I's relationship. The requests in my understanding are supposed to be not a demand, but something that you let that other person know how they could contribute to you. And mine at first always came out as demands, do this or else, right? Tell me more about proper request making and the mindset that's required for it.
1: Yeah. So the request is about seeking a win-win. So in the model, the idea is that my, my needs are not more important than yours. Your needs are just as important as mine. And through the, through the conversation, we may have come up with a, a similar need that we both share. We may not have, but we may, like to end with a request like you said commonly it's you know would you be willing Mm -hmm. or but the idea is you're asking for a collaboration a co-creation of a solution or a resolution you could even say would you be willing to work this out with me would you be willing to have a conversation about how we can resolve this or in the example of the clothes on the floor would you be willing to Put your clothes in the hamper for example if I brought the hamper to your room would you be willing to put the clothes in the hamper or can we talk about a solution where my need for order is met and you know your need for freedom um, Freedom, yes your need for freedom and not being controlled is met. I don't want to control you but I you know how could, you have a slightly different need around order than I do great what's the solution and you just be careful to recognize that you're be cautious around trying to change someone. The goal is not so much you know, are you asking them to do something, but what's the, but why? You know, are you trying to change them, or are you just trying to create order? So we want to be mindful of that we're not, you know, what's the reason you want them to do it? Not to change them, but to help make your life better. So, and that's why we share what our needs are. Right? Not So that we're not we're not wanting to change them we're just trying to weave in the possibility of getting our need met while at the same time giving them their autonomy so when you have that intention of maintaining connection within the relationship getting your need met and also having them have a say and get their needs met come with it with that energy You can have a conversation and then that person gets to say well i don't care about the clothes on my floor but i hear that you do so i'd be willing to put them in the hamper but you know please put the hamper in my room whatever it is they're willing to collaborate with you because you have made a request for first the conversation and then the request based on getting your need met does
0: that make sense it does and there's a part of me i don't even have teenagers but i did teach university for 25 years with teenagers like that is a lot of work lori that that unpacking that and and going through all of this to kind of strategize together to get figure out what both of our needs are and then is there a strategy we can find that both of our needs could be met and framing the request in a way that doesn't sound like a demand with a, you know, consequence, like it sounds like a lot of work, but here's the thing that I've discovered about that. That is an investment in my clarity about what I want out of my life. When I have two or three or four conversations like this, and then I, I get clarity about my role and my needs and my, like, I'm like, oh, it, so it's, I guess it's for me, like a stitch in nine saves time. Is that it? Yeah. I think that's the name. That's how you say it. Where you put in the investment into the relationship, that relationship grows and you don't hopefully have to continue to struggle forever. Right. And you get this added bonus of clarity about your needs and your feelings and how your mind works really
1: percent, Yes. And it is extra work, but is it work or is it communication? You know, you can have fun with communication mm-hmm. and it's like, well, how, how can I go at this creatively? Because what's my underlying intention and my underlying value is connection. I don't want to lose connection and be the bossy authoritarian parent. I want, I want connection. I want a resolution. That's we've come to, and as a win-win, both parties feel heard. Both parties feel honored. Really important, and and yeah, it takes more time. It's way easier to say, put your clothes in the laundry, or you know, taking your devices away, or all threatening or fear-based. I mean, it's it's easy to do that, but what is the what does the other party feel um, resentful or? you know just disconnected or not seen and heard you know i want people around me to feel seen and heard because then there's going to be more willingness to open up there's going to be more willingness to contribute to the family well-being or to the relational well-being so i'm giving an order to receive in a way it's not it's not um you know manipulative but it's my desire for connection I want to uphold my side of it so that, so that the connection isn't broken. And it's an invitation also to please share your needs. What is it that you're needing? How can I support you? Because if you're offering that quality of connection, you're likely to get it back. Right? Your, your family will want to contribute to your well-being. And if they don't over and over and over again, then something's really going on with them. And then you get curious about that. Curiosity is a big part of this too. What's uh, what's going on with you? Is there anything you'd like to uh, let me know? And that conversation can only happen if there's been connection that's been built over time and, and maintained that that your uh, relational partner, whether it's you know any type of relation, is going to want to share with you openly. They will more likely want to be open with you if you have demonstrated being able to listen and and hear truly what their values and needs are.
0: And I also want to say there are times where the other party actively decides not to hear your feelings and needs and actively decides not to honor your request. And that's okay too, but at least we have clarity, right? That, that I felt this way, These needs weren't being met. I requested this multiple times and you've decided not to. So at least we're clear. And the strange thing about that is in the separation, if that's what happens, you just feel lighter, more spacious, more like, okay, well, somebody had different needs than I did. It's not going to work at this time, but there's a light quality to it as opposed to blame shame. You didn't do it. You're wrong. I'm
1: right. Kind of feeling. Yeah, absolutely. You're acknowledging their state of being, their state of mind, and you're not making them wrong for it. But you're taking care of yourself, right? You're having a personal, okay, let's, let's take some time apart or whatever it is. It's a bit of a healthy boundary. Yeah. And Tracy Rubel likes to share this quote from Randy Buckley. It's boundaries are values in action. So if you value connection, if you value communication, you value trust, then it's okay to create a limit around how much you're going to engage with that behavior or have a boundary in service of your value of connection that's how i see my value of connection sometimes you need to have some distance to maintain the connection mhm
0: so important we have so much we could talk about but you had mentioned just before we got on and i don't know if this could be a you know shorter synopsis but there's a yoga sutra 317 that you and i have talked about that really goes into listening and hearing could could you tell us a little bit about
1: it i'm not super expert on deciphering the meaning of it but i think it's considered a city this power of getting the knowledge of all language and beings is that how you interpret it yeah yeah so and I think that listening is a superpower. It is one of our yoga therapy tools. It is a skill that that's, takes time to develop. And the sutra talks about our associations with words, our associations with even sounds, and how they can be colored by our interpretations. We have biases that come into it, and what's important is to recognize that we all have biases and assumptions. And if you're truly embodied and present, and you're practicing your svadhyaya, you will recognize that your biases are coming up. You will recognize, oh, I'm making an assumption here. So that's why our yoga therapy practice, our personal practice, is important to maintain that sense of embodiment, that self awareness, and the openness in the mind and knowing that our samskaras will color sometimes what's coming through. And that's essentially, I think, what the sutra is saying and looking at the words right now. Language has three components, sound, meaning, and understanding. Right? so we can all hear something, the same words, but we filter it through our, lens and our samskaras we come to a different understanding so how do we get to the truth the true understanding
0: yeah i i love that it's such a practical skill but it's also a siddhi power you know that you literally could meet someone who speaks a different language than you and you spend a week together and you understand what the other person needs and how to accommodate each other and get along. And you don't even have the same words or meanings or understandings, but somehow there's that connection. And I feel you can do it with animals that there's something deeper than the actual words or the vibrational sounds that come out of our mouths.
1: Yeah. Energy, body language, the way we use our eyes it's all it's all a factor. We talk about that in the NBC workshops, the body language piece, and we're very aware of our body language as yoga therapists, and I think that leads to being very aware of how other people are using their bodies. what are they saying nonverbally? How are they breathing as they're speaking, as we're speaking? How are they taking it in? All of that nonverbal stuff is is part of listening. So the words are one thing, and then there's all the other pieces that we we can become really attuned to with practice starting with ourselves what is my body saying what is my breath this quality of my breath what is that saying about the state of my mind Mm. We get so much of that through our own practice and that's how we can be better practitioners because we're practicing on ourselves yeah
0: So Lori, you've been at this for several decades now, and you actually run something that kind of started in our yoga therapy school, but I think you've opened it up to whoever would like to join. Can you tell us a little bit about your nonviolent communication practice group?
1: Yeah, I did. It came out of a request from one or two students, and I started a twice a month morning meeting for for an hour. And we go over real life scenarios, and we unpack how you might practice the OFNR model. Sometimes we go over different exercises. I actually teach a lot from this book, Connecting Across Differences. It's called Finding Common Ground with Anyone, Anywhere, Anytime by Connor and Killian. And they take the NBC protocol and they expand it and they make it really kind of user-friendly and they call it Street NBC. But... I'll have a topic and a theme and we'll we'll go over it. And there'll be sometimes a little worksheet and something to practice at home. And then people can bring in their home scenarios and say, what could I have done differently here? Or I did this and this is how it happened. And so we just unpack different things. But I do like to have a, a little bit of a structure and then we take from the group.
0: So if someone wanted to learn more about that, Group. I know it kind of goes on and off a little bit. Could they go to your website?
1: Yes, I will put the link and the information about the practice group on my website.
0: Great. So your website is www.mindfulyogatherapy.net. It has all of your information about yoga therapy. And I think it sounds like you'd be willing to add a little button
1: to learn more about that NBC group. Yes, I will put that on there. And, you know, another part that just came up recently for me is how we can use NBC in the way we give praise and gratitude. You know, it can really enrich the way... We talked about it a little bit in commenting on someone's artwork. You know, rather than just that's beautiful. Gosh, when I when I see that, I I feel... You know, and then you use a feeling word. I feel I'm feel touched by the the movement in that piece of art or the, the, the sounds from that music just touch my heart. So thank you. And they can be that simple. And when you give gratitude, you know, I, you know, thank you for the candle is nice, but receiving that candle from you, I, I really appreciate you thinking about me and And that scent was one of my favorites. And so thank you for remembering that I had spoken of vanilla. Mm -hmm. That kind of a thank you, you know, is so anytime you have the chance to express your feelings about something, whether it's artwork, a music piece, or a gift you receive can always weave in the way it made you feel because that enriches the giver's experience of how they contributed to your well-being.
0: You know, it reminds me whenever I get a gift, I always try to follow it up a week or two later with like me using the new food processor and a little video and sending it to the person or just uh, something kind of visual to let them see how much I'm enjoying it. And I, I think that's what you're talking about. You're you're saying you can do it with words. But a lot of times my little videos a week later, it's kind of the same thing. Like, look how amazing this is and how much you've contributed to my well-being.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. That is such a lovely, that's better than a thank you card in a way. My sister-in-law, whenever I give her a gift, the next time I see her, she'll be wearing it or oh. she'll have it displayed. It's that—that That is a, a deep, deeper thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that.
0: Laurie, I would like to know, it's kind of a hard question, and I think of it for myself quite often, but like five years, 10 years, 15 years from now, maybe even the end of your life, like what do you want to know that you stood for in this life, or what do you want to know about the way you contributed to others' well-being? Is there is there like an end game for you that you're aware
1: of, or not? Yeah, it's a great opportunity for reflection and it does have to do with connection and communication i want to be remembered for being a honest heartfelt communicator and a and a warm heartfelt listener really it's really that simple i want to be remembered for how i made you feel i made hopefully i contributed to your feeling seen and heard and accepted just as you are that's the other side effect of uh, really seeing and hearing someone without judgment. They get a moment of, Oh, maybe I'm okay. Just as I am. It's a nice thing to be able to impart. Yeah. And in five years I want to be doing, keep listening. I want, I do want to get back out on the sidewalk for sidewalk talk, listen to people just for the pure reason of heartfelt connection and seeing someone blossom and open up when they know that a complete stranger has no agenda and they just want to just want to know them heart to heart, want to know what their heart is.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I, you, you said it's so simple, but honestly what you've just described is nothing short of a miracle to be that present for someone and let them feel heard with no agenda. Like that is so rare and such a precious gift So thank you for offering that to the world and continuing, as you said, to develop in this area over many, many decades. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd like to finish up with today or do you feel complete? Yeah. I got
1: in the piece about observing art or sport or music. I got in the piece about a thank you, a rich gratitude and You know, another piece is when you're practicing listening to others is one thing, but can you practice listening to your own self-talk? As yoga practitioners, we are in the practice of self-observation. So can we observe our our self-talk when it's positive, when it's negative? notice that it is, and make observations around that. Practice that observing on the patterns in your own mind. That'll give you practice for observing the patterns in other people's behavior.
0: Yeah, I can really relate to that. My husband has this really lovely habit of helping me walk out to the car. So he carries my bag and my purse and my drinks, and then wants to kiss me goodbye and wish me well for the day and be safe. And it's such a lovely gesture. And sometimes I get really annoyed because then he's standing there and he's smiling at me until I pull out, but I don't have time to like make sure I have my phone and make sure I have my glasses and, you know, like get myself in order So the other day I said to him, you know, honey, I really appreciate your contributing to me in this way. And I still want you to do it. But as soon as you put your, my stuff in the car, could you please go away and go back in the house and not stand there and wave at me? And he took it really well. And because I was able to say, I have this need for clarity and organization before I drive away. And if I'm paying attention to you, I can't go through my checklist. And he was like, Oh, great. So today he walked me out, put the things down, gave me a kiss, said goodbye and walked in the house. And I wasn't annoyed with him,
1: (laughs) but that's the kind of clarity we want to get, right? Yeah, that was brilliant. What a great example of, of getting, recognizing first that you had a need to pause and get yourself in order before you drove off and acknowledging that he had a need to contribute to your well being by walking you out. And you found that you you made a nice uh, gentle request and works
0: well. And the, how it was going is that as he was walking me out, I was already getting annoyed at him because mm-hmm. I knew what was going to happen. And I would be a little sassy and a little, and then that's not a nice way to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, but that took self-awareness from within me to figure out why am I being so mean when he's doing such a nice gesture?
1: Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. What's going on in your own mind? Can you observe that? Yeah, yeah. Because your behavior of sassy was an unmet need. It was indicative of an unmet need for a moment of pause and quiet. Great example.
0: Mm, well, thank you, Lori, for joining us. I think we've found out how we can get a hold of you through your website. I would also like you to tell us how we can get a hold of Tracy Rubel. And do you happen to know her website? And then I'll also put Marshall Rosenberg and some of the NBC websites in the show notes.
1: Yes. You can look up sidewalk talk. Okay. At sidewalk talk.org. Great. Perfect. And Tracy Rubel. Let me see what her website is. Well, maybe we just put it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. And Tracy's also on YouTube. She has a beautiful TED talk called the power of human connection.
0: Well, Lori, thank you so much for coming today and taking this time out of your busy schedule. I know you've got a lot of family in the house and I really, really appreciate you contributing to the well-being of
1: our audience by teaching us today. Thank you for having me, Amy. I felt seen and heard, and I appreciate your curiosity. It made me feel like a deeper connection with you. So thank you.
0: Thank you, Lori, for joining us today on the podcast. I think maybe one of the biggest things that I came away with today was this idea of recognizing when I've reached my capacity, and and probably it will work better if I do it, you know, 20% before I reach my capacity, because once I'm at capacity, I'm not as nice. (laughs) But recognizing when I'm getting to that point, and politely letting the other person know that I'm feeling a little tired, I'm a little bit exhausted, I need to, to pull back a little bit, I need to take a break here. Like, honestly, that has never occurred to me before that I can do that in a conversation. Usually, I'll just try to slide away or make a, an exit somehow to get myself out of the situation, but to actually address it and say, you know, I'm really touched by all that you've told me. And I'm so happy to have heard your story and I'm tuning into my own needs and I'm feeling really tired. And I I think I need to, to go now. Like, I don't know if I would have thought to do that. So thank you, Lori, for for giving me that option. And now the, the key will be to monitor myself and practice it and see if I can make it come off in a a nice way <laughs> instead of like, I got to get out of here. <laughs> so I'll practice first on my close friends and family and and see how it comes off before I go out into the world and try to do it with other people. So thank you, Lori, for today. Thank you for all that you do In the world of yoga therapy and the the world of yoga nidra and listening, you're really just a, a jewel. And we're so happy to be on this journey with you. Please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter mailing list, where we give you a free gift every single week. It's usually something that the guest has been talking about, like a book chapter or an article or an infographic. Check out the show notes for that. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content, and that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria and Peter Morley who wrote and produced the music for this show who lives in Australia find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz
1: thank you for listening and we'll see you next time